If you would open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans is in the New Testament, open to chapter 5. I will let you know it's a little bit of a different sermon and that I won't be getting that text till near the end of the message, but that's where I want us to end in Romans chapter 5. So one of the things when we're talking about conquering, let me start over. One of the things when we talk about procrastination, conquering procrastination, is to have the right priorities, to have the right goals, okay? So um, some people are very goal-oriented, and some are a little more like, hey, I'm living in today. So just how many are like me that you are just extremely, maybe even, even too much, goal-oriented? Is that okay? A few of you? Just a few? Okay. I'm definitely very goal-oriented. I mean, all the way back to pretty much high school, college. I was like writing out goals, short-term, long-term. You know, went in the business world, goals. So I, I got a lot of that. Um, I learned something that I want to pass on to you. So I'm not saying this is, this is something another teacher taught me that really tremendously helped me with the um, putting goals in, there in the right priority, really understanding what a godly goal was. Because what would happen is, um, to me, and now that I've been a pastor for a long time, and uh, I'm also a counselor along with Barb and Tim and Clayton and some other people, we, again and again and again, we will see, I mean, well-meaning, zealous, earnest Christians who are coming in, and their desire is to please God. The Bible says that we should make it our ambition, our goal, to be pleasing to God, right? So, so these people, and I've been there too, make it our goal to please God. So it's like, I want to live my life by the Bible, and, and here's what I'm aiming for. You know, I want to I please God in this way, and their life has just become a, you know, I guess the phrase now is, it's just a hot mess, right? And they don't understand what happened. Well, I thought back to some of the goals I used to set and how I would try so hard, and if it didn't work out, hey, I was taught perseverance, hard work, don't complain, get it done, revise those goals. And then they still didn't work out. What's going on right there? That can be incredibly frustrating, right? Have you ever been there where you're like, God, I want to please you, and my family is not where it should be, my job is not where it should be, life is not what I, I thought it was going to be. But inside, you know, I would do anything you tell me to, God. Anybody relate? Don't raise your hand, because I'll bet a lot of people would raise their hands right now. So, I want to talk about that walk of faith. So, if you're following along in your notes, our walk of faith is a lot like the game of golf. Now, that may sound irreverent, but just stay with me on this, okay? Um, I appreciate that, amen. So, when you're teaching someone young, a little kid, to play golf, you know, that kid goes up there and you, wanna, you want them to have the right priorities. You can see where I'm going for the analogy. The right priorities, the right goals, the right form, right? But when that little kid winds up and hits that golf ball with all their might, how far is it going to go? Probably not 30 feet or 50 feet. In other words, no matter how hard they hit it, that ball is still going to be right in the fairway, right? Because they can't hit it that far. So if they're 15 degrees off, they're still in the fairway and it's okay. Take that same child who is now a grown-up, and when they hit the ball, if they were 15 degrees off as a child and they're still 15 degrees off as an adult, 
They're going to go off into the rough. That's what it's called if you don't know golf. And these are some actual pictures, right? So one guy's like, man, this tree is now blocking my goal. I love the guy in the water like, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep doing it, right? Or in the rough. If you're a little off at the beginning, you may be way off when you hit midlife. Does that make sense? Okay, let's get real. This might step on toes, but stay with me because today God wants all of us to leave here with more hope, hope in God. Maybe you got married and you got married completely dedicated to Christ and you love each other, but man, marriage is a lot harder than you thought it was going to be, right? There, a lot of us are like, amen, right? But some of you, because, because the goal is off just a little bit, it what, what used to be okay in the first years, now you're in the middle of life and you're just really honestly angry, without hope, not sure it can even change. Same thing at work. Lord, I went to school, I studied what I thought you wanted me to, I did everything, I thought I worked hard, and now I'm in a job I don't like, I feel like it's worthless, I don't understand what happened. See, to be just a little bit off on your priorities Early on doesn't show up, but later on, we can discover that things are really bad. So, how can we discover if our priorities, our goals, are godly goals? How do we know? Or can we know? Well, this is where this uh, teacher that I heard probably, shoot, 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago now, He said, yes, I think you can discover it because God has given this kind of an emotional or mental trigger that should let you know if something is not aligned the way it should be, right? Just like in a car, if your car's not aligned, it starts to shake a little bit and it's like, I better pay attention to this. So what are those those emotional or mental factors? If you're looking at your notes, I actually give you four questions. And these are four early indicators. We're going to get to these in a minute. If you were to answer the question, how happy am I overall? How successful? How content? How peaceful? And you you rate that, and this is a project I want you to do on your own. On a scale of one to five, five being the best, how happy, how successful, how content, how peaceful am I? And then notice that question at the bottom. I'd be more happy if, I'd be more successful if, I'd have more peace if, Whatever you fill in the blank, that if, that's your true belief system regardless of what you say about your Christianity. I would be more peaceful if my kids would just give me the respect I deserve. I would be more successful if I could just get a fair shake with my boss. I'd be, does that make sense? Okay. So, Can we discover on a daily basis if our priorities, our beliefs are in alignment with God's goals? Well, God gives us some signals. Here's what those signals look like. Um, if um, If you have a goal that you want to achieve and someone or something is blocking that goal and you get angry, that's a signal that your goal is probably not deep, deep, deep down a godly goal. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but stay with me on this. If so if you have anger, that's probably a sign of a blocked goal. If you feel anxiety or worry a lot, that can indicate an uncertain goal. I want this, but I just don't know if it's ever going to happen. If you have despair or discouragement or depression, 
that's usually a sign that you have a goal that is impossible. I want this, but I just don't think it's ever going to happen. See, God has wired those, those emotional or mental triggers to kind of be a signal to say, wake up. Something is going on inside your heart, inside your soul that you need to pay attention. You need to look to me for this. Does that make sense? Okay. So let me give you some real life examples. Um, so say, say as a minister, my goal is to win souls for Christ. To see a bunch of baptisms. We're doing this new building and our goal is to see new people join the church, baptisms and converts. Is that a good godly goal? Well, it sounds like it, but actually it's, a, it's a more of a desire because I can't control that. You and I as a church could do everything we're supposed to and yet not see new converts. And that could lead to, if that leads us to getting angry or anxiety, disillusioned, or blaming people, what's wrong? Well, see, I didn't have a godly goal, I had a godly desire. Here's another illustration. A woman, um, and this actually is a true story. So a woman wanted to see her husband who is not saved. Her goal was to see her husband who's not saved become a Christian, and even more, their kids to grow up as Christians. Is that a godly goal? Godly desire? It sounds like a godly goal, but as I, as I talk about that, well, let me just go through the story and let it unfold. So, what this lady did is she invited this Christian teacher, this Christian professor, to, to dinner one night. And when he showed up, he figured out what the, her aim was. Because the husband was already a little closed and so were the kids. And evidently, she'd already brought in several Christians to come in and be good witnesses to try and convince them to become a Christian. So the husband and the kids are already defensive. So as this teacher says, um, he, he felt bad for her, but he did the best he could. And, you know, he got in a good conversation, but not much came of it. Later on, he was talking with her about it, and she was dealing with depression. And um, this lady was talking again to this Christian uh, professor, this Christian teacher, and explaining that her depression was, um, um, it was, it was caused by physical things. And she said, it's not anything going on in me. It's, it's not my fault. It's, it's something physical. And he listened, and, you know, and sometimes it's true. Sometimes there are physical factors that uh, cause depression. But sometimes depression comes when you have an impossible goal, something you can't control. And that's what seemed to be going on in this situation. Her desperate hope was that her husband would be saved and her kids would be saved. And so she tried to witness to him and she shared scripture and she went to church and she prayed and she brought in all these people. And again and again and again, they just put up a wall. And that left her in a place with hopelessness and helplessness. So what's going on? Could she change anything? Could she, how are her goals a little bit out of alignment? Well, I say they're out of alignment because did not God say that you and I should have the peace of God in all situations and the joy of the Lord and self-control? So if instead of manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, we're manifesting anger, anxiety, depression, something is not quite in alignment. And as I said, because we do a lot of counseling with this, this is not condemnation. When I heard this message, I was like, oh, so something else is going on. And the something else going on is what we want to look at. What is the, when we push that aside, what's, 
What's the main thing that God is trying to say to us? So, let's explain. Let me see if I can explain this. Um, God definitely wants you and I to bear fruit. Would you agree with that? It's right there in the notes. It says, uh, what does God expect? By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And it's obvious God wants us. But, so what's the solution? Well, let me just say this. The solution is not to control your kids, control your spouse, control your job, control this. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, not kid control, not spouse control, not circumstance control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So the answer lies in what's going on inside of our soul. So what's that solution? Here's a faith-stretching question. A faith-stretching question. Can any God-given goal be impossible or blocked? I need y'all to answer that and think about that a second, okay? Give me a yes or no. Can any God-given goal be impossible or blocked? Right? There's not a trick question. No, it cannot, okay? In other words, if God gives you a goal and he says, this is my will for your life, can you do it? Yeah, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Okay, it's not a trick question. Some of you are like, yeah, but. We're going to get to the yeah, but. Okay? But just stay with me on this. He is an Abba Father. He's a good, good Father. He's a good God. Right? He's promised us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things are possible. These are the promises of God, right? Would you as a parent give a goal to your child and then sit back and say, they'll never be able to do that? Ha ha. Would you do that? Jesus addresses this because he knows how humans think. He said, if you ask, you will receive. If you knock, it'll be opened, right? You remember that? Right after that, he says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your father. You know, they ask for a fish, you're not going to give them a snake, right? He says, if you, being evil, and that's what he says, know how to give good gifts, how much more will our father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So my point is, if God gives you a goal, and he gives us a goal, we will be able to do it. Nothing will be able to stop us. The question, the trick to all this is, what does he mean by all things? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, this is where, this is where I, that helpful thing, I told you there was something that really helped me a lot. Here's the helpful thing. This teacher, this author, wrote about the difference between a godly goal and a godly desire. A godly goal and a godly desire. And, and the point is that a godly goal is dependent on God and me. Nothing can stop a godly goal. A godly desire is a good thing, but it's dependent in part on other people or other circumstances. Does that make sense? Does God have sent things like this? Yes. Just look in the Bible. He says, it is God's desire that none would perish, but all would be saved and come to repentance. That's God's desire. But because God has given free will, there are people that can block that goal. Right? There's a lot of people that are not going to go to heaven. And you could just go on down the line. There are certain things that, that God has ordained. This will happen. This is my desire. This is what I want to happen, but I, I can't guarantee it. Right? The same is true in your life and my life. 
One of the best things we can do when, when you and I get along with God and start asking God to set our priorities, to set our goals, is to, to examine, and what I'm aiming at, what I'm holding on to, is that a godly goal or is it a desire? Okay, let's apply this. Go back to the homemaker. All she wants is a harmonious family. She just wants peace in her family. She wants everybody to love each other. That sounds like something good, right? It's not a trick question. Is that something good? Yeah, that's something good. But it's not really a godly goal because who could prevent there being a harmonious family? Pretty much everyone else in the family every day, right? So it's a godly desire. There's nothing wrong with that. But the godly goal for that woman should be, I am going to be the wife God has called me to be, no matter what anyone else does. I'm going to be the godly mother that I'm called to be by God, no matter what anyone else does. And then start looking at, well, what does that mean? That means that when they're unloving, I'm going to be patient. When they're making mistakes... I'm going to represent truth and grace. When everyone else is spinning out of control, I'm going to have self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can be the person I'm supposed to be. As a pastor, I'm going to be the pastor God has called me to be. I'm going to spend time alone with God to be filled with him instead of getting distracted by a thousand other things. Who controls that? God and me. I'm going to look at, well, God, when these things are spinning out of control and, and tempting me to be angry and anxious and depressed, when that, those signals are coming, I'm going to have to go to you, God, and God, what, are, what are you trying to develop in me? What fruit, what character are you trying to develop in me? That's the goal. Does that make sense? Be the pastor. Nothing wrong with godly desires. What about in the business world? Most of you know I come out of the business world, right? So a good example would be... Um, you know, one of my goals when I first came out of college was, I'm going to make $100,000 by the time I'm 29. And since I eventually was in sales, I've got to have X number of sales and X hit ratio and X... So I had all that lined up. Well, a good desire is the result, the amount, the sales, the clients. But I actually can't control that. Every single client can block my goal. If I do everything right and I don't achieve it, I can become depressed and think I'm a failure. Do you see how that works? Instead, backing up, pushing all that aside, I'm going to do what God has given me the ability to control. God, a goal might be, I'm going to um, go to ABC seminar, or I'm going to meet with certain mentors, or I'm going to uh, get this training. I'm going to call so many people. In my presentations, I'm going to do this. What I can control... By God's, that should be my goal. And if I've done everything I can, then I can trust the results to God. Folks, that is a much better way to live life. Not true in just business, but also true with family and in our Christian walk. The sure signal that somehow we're out of alignment with God's great goal is that anger, that anxiety, that, that depression. And I'm not saying anything's wrong in the sense that you should be condemned, I'm saying, take a step back and say, God, what are you trying to get my attention? What are you trying to tell me? Okay.
You know, the same author, the one I was telling you about, he told the story of a guy who was a salesman. Um, and the guy was one of those salesmen you don't generally like. <laughs> you know, one of those, you know, hard-driving salesmen, whatever it takes to win. And he had a non-Christian boss. Now, he was nominally a churchgoer, but the way he operated in business, well, you wouldn't want him to wear the name Christian, right? He was hard-driving, whatever it takes to win, didn't like his boss much, and heard a message very similar to what I'm talking about, about to be successful... I need to understand my identity in Christ and make it my goal to be pleasing to God no matter what I do. It is my ambition to be pleasing to God. So he went back to that same job and he realized that instead of trying to convince the, the client that I have to you know, give the sale, he actually started listening to the clients. He even had a certain client that, and I won't get into the details, he even had a certain client, he realized that this client didn't need to buy from his company, he needed to buy here and he recommended that to him. And his attitude changed so much that within two weeks, his boss came and said, what has happened to you? Well, what had happened to him was, instead of being focused on the results goal, he somehow, be, he turned and he was saying, my goal is to please God in everything that I do. And to please God means I'm going to work with integrity. To please God means I'm going to think of other people. And his goal so shifted because he had a godly goal now that everyone around him noticed the difference. So, Y'all, in Romans chapter 5, where I asked you to go early on, what is God's goal for us? What is God's great goal for us? I want us to leave here with hope today. I want you to notice as we read through the Holy Scripture, and this is not just self-help, right? This is the Holy Scripture. Notice where hope that does not disappoint comes from. Because it relates to everything I've been just saying. In fact, I would encourage you to meditate on this, even memorize the scripture. If you struggle in these areas, this is God's word. This will give you hope that does not disappoint. I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have a walk of faith. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace by which we stand. There's so much there. We are standing in the grace of God and nothing can take that away. How did we get there? Our introduction was by faith. If we were saved by faith, are we supposed to walk by faith? Not a trick question. The answer is yes. Okay. And he says, and we exult in hope in the glory of God. Yes, God's going to make it all right. But here it comes, verse three. Not only this, but we also rejoice or exult in our tribulations. Your translation may say our problems. Do you rejoice in your problems, your tribulations, knowing that the tribulation will bring about endurance or perseverance? And then that endurance or perseverance will lead to proven character, tested character. And the proven character leads to Hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured, in, in, uh, poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. That's God's kind of hope. Okay, an example, let's apply that. What if, and this is gonna be all too real for some people, 
What if in your marriage situation, things have gotten so bad that both people are just hopeless? We keep repeating the same cycle. It's the same thing. It's never going to change. And that person comes to you and says, all right, so what's God's goal? What am I supposed to do? It also could be, my job is hopeless. My kid's relationship is hopeless. What do you suggest? Okay, you're ready for some grown-up Christianity? There is no, like, happy, and the grown-up answer is this. If your marriage is that bad, if your relationship with your kids is that tough, what you need to do is you need to hang in there and grow up. You need to, as the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. But believe that in doing good, in due season, you will reap if you do not quit. You need to memorize this scripture that says, I am going to choose to rejoice in the tribulations that God has allowed into my life. Even if it's the other person's fault. Right? Even if it's the other person's fault. I'm going to rejoice in the tribulations. Because I can know that if I rejoice in them, I'm going to develop endurance. It feels like I'm going to be crushed, but a thousand Christians could tell me five years from now, there's hope and this works. Tribulations will build endurance. Endurance will build proven character. God wants to build something in you. Patience that you don't have. Listening skills that you're not using. Self-control that you're not showing. Kindness in the face of meanness. Self-control instead of being reactive. Love to the unlovely. Joy instead of pessimism. Peace instead of turmoil. Diligence instead of laziness. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. The point is, the scripture says, if I want hope, if, if hope is my goal, and right now everything seems hopeless, I am angry, anxious, depressed, all of the above, that should be a signal God is literally knocking on your door and saying, I hear where you're at. I care where you're at. And I don't want you to stay there. But you're going to have to turn to me instead of looking in and just rehearsing this hurt and helplessness over and over again. And what the Bible says is that if I will turn to God and say, okay, God, I'm going to count it joy. I'm not going to be happy about it. I'm going to count it joy that you're using this to wake me up. God, I believe you're going to help me to hang on. I will not give up even though I feel like giving up. I will not quit because you have said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, will n- I am weary, but I will not grow weary in doing good. Even when the other person is doing whatever they're doing. Right? I will develop endurance. Oh, I can start to testify. I'm developing patience I didn't have. I'm developing self-control I didn't have. I'm kinder than I used to be. Oh, God, you were actually using that. Hope that does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in my heart. Folks, this is what we want, right? This is real. I'm telling you, right, Barb, we see this in our counseling over and over and over and over again. You've probably experienced some of that. What helped me tremendously, and I hope it will help you, is to recognize that God has given us a wake-up signal. 
And those wake-up signals are meant to cause us to turn to God in hope, not to go, oh, I guess I just have to hang on, to have a martyr complex, to give up, to give in. Don't do that. That's what Satan wants. God is saying, I I will give you hope. I will cause you to hang on. I will take that hot mess. This is Dan's translation, right? I will cause that hot mess to turn into good. I will cause all things to work together for good for those that love God, called according to his purpose, that I might conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28, 29. Dear Christian, that is where hope comes from. I end with this. It's down at the bottom of your notes. Change one letter. Change one letter. It's the difference between disappointments and his appointment. Change just one letter. Let me read this poem to you. Disappointments, his appointment. Change one letter, then I see that the thwarting or the stopping of my purpose is God's better choice for me. His appointment must be blessing, though it may come in disguise. For the end from the beginning, open to his wisdom, lies. Disappointments, his appointment. No good will God withhold. I'm going to say that a couple times. No good will God withhold. No good will God withhold. From denials we often gather, treasures of his love untold. Well he knows each broken purpose leads to fuller, deeper trust. And the end of all his dealings proves our God is wise and just. Disappointments, his appointment. Lord, I take it then as such, like clay in the hands of a potter, yielding wholly to thy touch. My life's plan is thy molding. Not one single choice is mine. Let me answer unrepining, Father, not my will, but thine. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, what I sense and pray is that all of us in this room would leave with a greater sense of hope. That no matter where people are today, if they started off trying to please you, but now they're in the rough, they're in a bad place. God, I pray that today would be a message of hope and you would give, in fact, if that's you, I would just encourage you to have the faith to pray something like this. God, you know where I'm at. You know my questions and my my hurts. But right now, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to believe your word. And just say that to him. Say it as an act of your will, not because your feelings are there. God, I'm going to look to you for hope. I'm choosing right now to rejoice in my tribulations, believing you will give me endurance. And that endurance will develop character. And God, you will give me hope that does not disappoint. For others in this room, you're not in that situation, but you know somebody that is feeling overwhelmed, stuck. 
Lord, I pray that we as Christians would be as the body of Christ, we'd be a messenger of your hope. That we wouldn't just think about it, but we'd pray for this other person. We might even go and share this with them. God, we thank you that you are a living hope. Not in some kind of optimistic kind of way, but because your ways are real and your ways work and you call us to a real relationship. Lord, for this church, I pray that we would truly be what you've called us to be, a healing place in this hurting world, equipping saints to serve you. Lord, let us leave here changed and with the the message of hope upon our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.